You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Interstate Batteries. If you guys haven't visited your local Interstate Batteries retail store, you need to do it. The specialists that work there can literally help you with all your battery questions, whether you need a unique battery for a truck or a trail camera, or recently I am looking for a battery for one of my kids' powered-up toy toy thingies. So it's a unique battery. So who do I call? I call uh, my buddy Dan Spano with Interstate Batteries. He looks it up for me, and I think we got what we need. But you guys... There's thousands of retail stores all over the country. So if you need you some bat if you need yourself some batteries, doesn't matter what kind of batteries it is, these guys can help you. Visit your local retail store or for more information, visit interstatebatteries.com. All right, mic check, mic check. Hey, everybody, welcome back to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast. I'm your host, Dan Johnson, and today we are joined by a guy most of you know, Mark Kenyon of Wired to Hunt, and this is a, it's kind of like a BS session. We chit-chat about a whole bunch of different things, uh, the stress at home, working from home, uh, upcoming plans for, you know, the hunting season. We talk a little bit about... uh, Mark's facial hair and how beautiful it is, and I think uh, we. Long story short, we we talk a lot about a whole bunch of different things. We talk a lot about nothing, really, to be honest with you. But uh, we also share a couple really fun and exciting stories from our youth. Uh, he shares a bear encounter story up in, I believe it was Minnesota or up in the UP or something. I can't remember right now, but he tells the story where he had an encounter with a black bear at fishing camp. I share the story of my first ever pheasant that I killed. And uh, that's what this episode is about today. Other than that, Let's see, we got to do a little housekeeping here, and I want to talk to you guys a little bit about something called Cash for Conservation. So what is Cash for Conservation? So recently, I've been seeing a lot of people on Instagram like tag people and say, oh, it's the push-up challenge, or it's the take a picture of your dog challenge, or it's the uh, go shoot your bow challenge, or post the last 10 pictures from your phone challenge, like all these challenges that uh, people are doing and and I've taken part of them you know part in them I should say but I was thinking man these are fun to do but they're not really making an impact really so what did I do I came up with this uh, this idea and uh, I'm going to use the hashtag cash the number four 
Conservation. So if you want to find out what the Cash for Conservation Challenge is all about, go to the Nine Finger Chronicles Instagram page. And uh, I I have a little video up kind of explaining what it is. Long story short, I'm going to write a check to a conservation effort, a local conservation effort here in Iowa. And I've challenged a couple of my buddies, Jeff Lindsay of the Lindsay Way, Justin Czar of Bowhunting.com, Mark Kenyon of Wired to Hunt, and Kurt Geyer of Working Class Bowhunter. And uh, the goal is we raise a little bit of money. And then we start, as the snowballs, we start raising a lot of money. And if we all chip in and we all give a little bit, then the grand total will be huge, right? If we could get somehow for, you know, just imagine that these push-up challenges, if every one of those resulted in donating a couple dollars to a conservation effort, effort, whether it was a local or a national level, man, we would have raised a shit ton of money. So that's what I'm trying to accomplish here. It doesn't have to be um, hunting related even, right? If you are a fan of bird watching or insects or grass and vegetables or whatever your conservation effort is, donate to it. Because right now, throughout the entire United States, there are hundreds, if not thousands, of banquets and uh, fundraising events that have had to be canceled due to this whole corona thing. So um, let's let's do something that is going to make a difference and let's just raise some cash for conservation. So that's the goal. Hopefully it takes off. Hopefully you guys would like to participate in it as well. And uh, I challenge you to challenge your peers to uh, help us raise money for conservation. Other than that, let's see what do we got to do today for a commercial Lone Wolf, right? So Lone Wolf tree stands, man, I've been uh, I've been using Lone Wolf portable tree stands now for a long time and uh, straight up. One of the reasons, as far as products are concerned, one of the reasons I've been successful over the years is because I've I've learned how to become a mobile hunter and uh, lone wolf hang ons and sticks have been a, uh, I guess, key in in me becoming successful or what I feel has uh, been successful over the last several years. So um, lone wolf hunting products dot com. Go check them out now. If you go to lonewolfhuntingproducts.com slash nine fingers, that's the number nine with the word fingers after it, you're going to be able to sign up for a giveaway. And that giveaway starts on July 1st. So we're going to, we're going to pick something July 1st, uh, August 1st, September 1st, and October 1st. And we're going to pick a, a winner. And you can basically get a tree stand of your choice or four sets of sticks. So that's the giveaway but here's how you do it go to lonewolfhuntingproducts.com slash nine fingers that's the number nine followed by the word fingers and enter your you know enter your name your email address and that's all you have to do now when you do that it's going to kick out a discount code for you so not only are you going to get a uh, chance to win a free tree stand but you're also going to get a discount code that takes fifty dollars off of all orders over hundred and ninety nine dollars so go do that and uh reap the rewards so there's that commercial out of the way housekeeping's out of the way let's get into today's we'll just call it a bs session with my man mark kenyon two one all right this guy really doesn't need an introduction but i'm gonna do it anyway maybe like a, a monster truck what do you think monster truck or 
baseball introduction. Give me baseball because uh, you call me rookie of the year. Real rookie of the year. That's right. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the plate. Batting average is .103 on the year. Uh, he's had to struggle with the slider this year, but uh, he's he's making gains on the on-base percentage. Been walked a lot. Mark Kenyon, welcome to <laughs> You know a lot more about baseball than I do, apparently. <laughs> yeah, I, I made all that up. I made, all, I made all of it up. It What's good, dude? Very convincing, and uh, you know nothing, nothing too new here. I've left the house like two times in the last three weeks, uh, <laughs> getting stir crazy. Oh, dude. Uh, but finally, we're seeing some sunshine at least, so that's encouraging. Yeah, we had sunshine the last uh, three days, and it was really difficult because all the neighborhood kids are outside, and they all want to be touching each other. I don't know. I mean, you know how kids are; they're very yeah. physical creatures, and so they. So here are the parents. You know how Buffalo, they have herd protection when a wolf comes in. It's, it <laughs> yeah. was the opposite. So, like, the adults are trying to get the kids, like, six feet, six feet, stay six feet right. away. It, oh, gosh. Yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy. But you live out in the country, so you don't, you probably don't have to deal with it that much. Yeah, I was going to say, that's one thing I have no issues with. I have no neighbors. Uh, my my poor son sees no other kids for days and days, <laughs> and for weeks and weeks on end out here. Uh, but what is nice is we can just roam around. We can just kind of. We got a lot of lot of stuff to just go hike around, and we can walk through some of the farm fields around here. So yesterday, uh, him and my wife and our newborn and our two dogs, while I was working, they were just off walking through bean fields, just picking up leaves and exploring for like two hours. Yeah. So so that's nice. Yeah. So we live in a town that it is legal to own a golf cart and drive on the streets in in and around our town. Nice. So. We, I put all the kids into the golf cart. I got the turkey calls out, and then we went down to this piece of public just right down the road from where we live and walked out in, in there and started doing, you know, turkey calls and looking at leaves and same kind of, you know, same kind of stuff just to get them outside, get them yeah. some fresh air. And uh, it's, uh, I, don't, I don't know about you, but this has been some of the most stressful times in my life like five people who are all very high energy under the same roof all the time. Yeah, man. For a lot of reasons, it's, it's stressful. It's crazy. And, you know, I, we talked about the other day, it's, it's just weird. It's this weird sense of what's going on around us. What's the future hold? Is my family going to be healthy? Are our extended family going to be healthy? What's this mean for work? What's this mean for making a living? Oh, yeah. What does this mean for just, you know, getting through the weekend and not wanting to pull my hair out? Um, yeah, it's it's nuts. I Every day it's kind of like, oh, boy, what's going to happen next? Yeah, I mean, the whole the whole uh, manufacturing, right, world, if you sell your products in retail, which a majority, not all of them, but a majority of the people who sponsor our respective podcasts right or our brands you know some of them even for me some of them have been like dude we're in 2020 all the way this happened and now they're just like mm, we don't know what's going to happen so we're going to have to just press pause for a moment and uh yeah it's it's tough i mean that's just that's just it and you know there's a lot of other people out there who are you know i know a buddy up in northwest iowa he's a uh, a floor tiler that's all he does is flooring and, and home remodeling and people just are stopping that and they're like hey hold off we don't know what's going to happen so it's better to have money in the bank than into whatever it is that we were going to do yeah it's it's 
kind of impacts everything. Mm-hmm. I feel like there's no part of the economy, no person out there who's not feeling this in some way or another. So it's, um, man, unprecedented. Yeah. So the cat's out of the bag, Mark. I'm hunting Michigan this year, right? Yeah, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> the cat is out of the, the bag. The cat is no out of the bag. Now. I love it how you made a post on Instagram and people you thought it was a, yeah, people thought it was an April Fools joke. <laughs> I know and I didn't I didn't even mean it to be like that, but it worked out kind of funny that way that I posted on April Fools, so <laughs> people weren't quite sure what to think. Um but I want to I want to put you on the spot on one of these things and make sure that you can commit to not letting this happen. Your wife's not going to listen to this, right? Uh, no. Yeah, Mark. <laughs> Come on. She doesn't listen to me when I'm talking to her. Why would she listen to this? Someone commented. You probably saw this. Um, someone commented and said, and this is after I posted saying, Dan's coming to Michigan. I'm so excited, blah, blah, blah. This guy, DJ, something or other posts, don't get too excited yet. I can see it already. <laughs> dot, dot, dot. Quote. Well, the plan was to go hunt Michigan, but my wife needed me to do some stuff around the house, and it wasn't worth the argument. <laughs> He's probably not far off. <laughs> no, uh, I, I loved the comments because I had, uh, and this is a, a private message that I received from someone. Hey, listen to the Wired to Hunt podcast. Heard that you're hunting Michigan. I've been hunting Michigan my whole life and have yet to, and have yet to connect on a Pope and Young buck. If you come to Michigan and shoot a Pope and Young buck, I'm going to quit hunting. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that uh, that would be something. You'd have you'd it'd be really if you did it, it would cause quite the stir, Dan. Yeah. There'd be Michigan hunters that are pissed because, oh, dude. <laughs> and then there'll be uh, non-Michigan hunters who are so happy that you ruined. Um, <laughs> what everyone likes to complain about in Michigan. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. And, and I can just see myself being a real big prick about it and just oh, being like, sure. dude, I thought you guys said Michigan hunting was hard. It wasn't it's hard at all. all. It's easy. Like I walk into the stand and maybe some farmer bumps a buck out of his bed and he runs by <laughs> me at like three o'clock in the afternoon on the first week that I'm there. <laughs> you know what I like to say? If you can kill a buck in Iowa, you can kill one anywhere. That's yeah. That, right. <laughs> right. Oh man. But the, the feedback is, is the best, you know, it's like, Hey, don't get too caught up. You know, I'm getting a lot of this. Uh, don't get too caught up. There are a lot of good places in uh, Michigan, but just when you think you've found the honey hole, there's been other people who have hunted it. Like, so you're not going to walk into some sacred bedding area that no one knows about. Yeah, that's, that's probably true. There are, there are very few secret spots. Um, but again, there are spots. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't, like we were saying on my podcast the other day, I wouldn't be surprised if you hunted the whole time and saw nothing but does and year and a half old bucks. Mm-hmm. At the same time, I wouldn't be shocked if you also saw like a nice three-year-old possibly. Like yeah. you could, not saying it's, I wouldn't give you super high odds of that, but if right. you told me it happened, it wouldn't be like unbelievable right um it'd be cool yeah i think it's uh i think it's just going to be fun and i i i'm already getting enjoyment out of this hunt and i haven't even like really started planning for it i mean i've been on looking for public i've been talking to andy may a little bit about you know what to expect right i'm not trying to put myself on the same level as andy may i've just been messaging him a lot because uh, this last week he was in iowa doing some scouting and I pointed, right. I pointed him in a couple directions of places that he should go scout. And, uh, and, uh, 
he we've been you know chit chatting back and forth and like i mentioned to you i kind of want to do this solo i want to walk into a piece and and try to analyze it myself make the moves myself but uh you know i'm getting a lot of feedback not just from you and andy but from everybody's they're like hey man check this spot out check this spot out and i think what that really what's really cool about that is the brotherhood if you want to call it that of how cool people are about really sharing spots i mean honestly that's what it is dude it's gonna be it's gonna be so cool like that until october 1st and you go walking in on someone's secret spot and they realize it's you that just ruined their hunt and they're like (laughs) damn you dan johnson (laughs) oh man and then that's when they start bashing me on social Uh it's like oh he's a prick he's a poacher i mean here's a picture of dan johnson inside of a high fence in michigan Here's a picture of Dan Johnson in his tree stand in Michigan, not wearing any pants. Sky dumping. <laughs> he does all sorts of weird <laughs> stuff. I saw it all. Oh, man. Yeah, but, uh, oh, oh, by the way, I from what I've been told, Michigan's food, I mean, this, this sounds kind of like a generic, but Michigan food is bratwurst. So... This is coming off of our conversation the other day, right? Where yep. we were talking about what's the Michigan food? What's the Michigan food? Bratwursts? That's what really? the, that's what the guy said. He's like, every every deer camp has bratwurst. Every you know before and after, you know, we go on a hunt, we stop and get bratwurst. Are there a lot of bratwurst stands in Michigan? No, not at all. Not that I know. Of. <laughs> I know of uh, Coney dogs. Yeah. are a big thing on the east side of the state, like Detroit Metro. Yeah. Coney. Yeah. There's a lot of Coney Islands, uh, but brats. No, I don't know. That's what I don't it, know I'm just I'm just relaying a, a, a message from another Michigander. I uh, I had people reach out to me on that though too, and other things people said were they talked about cherry pie being a big thing because ch- Michigan cherries are a big deal up in the northern part of the state. Yeah, um, and then a good one was smoked whitefish. Smoked fish is a big deal in Michigan. We're big on fish, obviously being surrounded by the Great Lakes, and smoked whitefish or smoked salmon, things like that. That's a pretty good Michigan treat. Someone yeah. told me about that one. Um, I don't know, though. I don't know about brats, man. I like brats. But if you told me, like, pick the location where brats would be, like, their food. And I'd tell you Wisconsin. Like, I think, right? Get a beer and a oh, yeah. brat in Milwaukee or some shit like that. Yeah. Madison, Wisconsin. Uh, the University of Wisconsin's there. My buddy used to live just south of that in a town called Stoughton. And uh, I think it's called Lake Kiganza is where he had a house right on the lake. And we would, during uh, football season, when Iowa would come into Madison and play, we'd go up and uh, tailgate and go to the game. And uh, there's uh, there's a couple bars right on State Street. Have you ever been to Madison, Wisconsin for, for like, uh, I don't know, a party on State Street? I have not. Okay. Well, it's just, it's like any college town has a street full of bars, right? And they always are called State Street, too. Is, I know of three different college towns with State Street places like that is that what was lansing's hot spot well we have a state street then we have uh uh oh jesus why am i forgetting about the name of our uh grand river grand river was our hot spot okay yeah but then university of michigan they got state street which is right in their main drag too i gotcha well anyway it's all full of cheese curd places like you can buy cheese curds you can buy sausages you can buy brats and like you think of you if you close your eyes and envision someone from wisconsin eating a meal that is what they serve all over that street 
Can't beat it. Can't beat it. I'm a I'm a sausage guy. I like sausage. I'm not surprised to hear that one bit, Dan. <laughs> Shut up, prick. <laughs> <laughs> and I was just going to compliment you on how how well I think your goatee's coming in. You walked right into that. I know. I, mean, I did. I know. <laughs> if, if I didn't, if I didn't take advantage of that, would you? Could you even respect me? No. No, I, I was like, I'm going to make a note here. Mark, I, I gave Mark a lob, and he swung and struck out at it. Uh, the old sausage trick. Anyway, um, all right, so Michigan, I'm jacked for that. But I have to be honest with you. I, I'm coming, period, right? But uh, we, we talked a little bit about the time of the year. So yep. my buddy Dan, he was going on a uh, an elk hunt in Montana with his, his dad and brother. Well, the outfitter called him or the guide called him and said, hey, man, I'm not going to do anything because everybody is canceling. Mm -hmm. Everybody's canceling on me. I'm not going to do just one hunt because it's not efficient for me. Right. So they canceled their elk hunt. And now he he's going to come with me on my mule deer hunt this year. And last year we went like October 5th through the 11th. Or something like that. Mm -hmm. So I am back in scheduling mode about how I can, what I'm going to do in October where I can go on this mule deer hunt and come to Michigan all within probably like a three-week period. Hmm. So what are you thinking? Are you going to try to bump Michigan later in the year or still do early but then go straight from Michigan to Dakota? Let's talk it out. I, I can't do I can't do a straight two-week run or like a an eight day run where I go to Michigan, I come home and I leave right away for uh, South Dakota. Right. Gotcha. So, I mean, that would kill my wife. She would, yeah. you want to talk about a person getting angry to the point of violence. <laughs> <laughs> that is, that is what would happen if I decided, Hey, you know what? I'm going to do this, this, and this. And, uh, but the, the cool, the cool thing about this is where I feel like I'm going to come away with a little leeway is, my son will be in kindergarten, which is five days a week. That's nice. So she'll be home, but she'll be home with only one kid for a majority of the day. Yeah, that's got to help a lot. Yeah. And then obviously uh, mother-in-law will come and help for a little bit. My dad will come and help for a little bit. So I don't think it will be near as stressful as past years. Uh, so we'll see. I I'm thinking I would love to do Michigan opening day like I did wait a week and then just push the South Dakota hunt back maybe like four or five days. So I'm, I'm home an entire week and then I leave on a Friday and then head out to South Dakota then. Yeah. I think that'd be, it's a good way. I, I was going to say, I do think that, I think that first few days of October is a good window. If you're yeah. going to try to hit Michigan, I'd rather you hit that very first few days rather than try to come like the 10th or the 12th or the 15th or something. Yeah. Um, so if you can still swing opening day, I think that's it, – it's either that or wait till you know, pre-rut. Right. When, when do you think – you know, this is me talking on stereotypes right now about how pressured Michigan is or whatever. But when do you think people up there really start to pile in the woods? Immediately? Yeah, immediately because there's, there's almost more bow hunters in Michigan than any other state. So you've got – I mean – I think it's something like five times more bow hunters in Michigan than there are total hunters in Iowa or something just like that. Yeah. So there's going to be guys out there right away, but there is a, there is going to be probably like your 
beginning of the season push and then it'll drop down a little bit and then it'll rise again all the way until you get into the rut and then of course you know late october first two weeks of november there's, there's the top bow hunting pressure and then it gets tripled on november 15th for gun season and then it's just a mess for the next couple weekends and then it drops down significantly for late season um so there'll there'll be the thing with your first few days of the hunting season is there will be a lot of pressure the first few few days but the deer haven't been as impacted by it yet so you'll get a few good hunts before they're as impacted so even though hunting on the sixth might be less pressure than on the first those deer on the sixth are way they're behaving way differently than they were on the first and second. Right. Um, so I think that's, I think that's how I look at it. Just like every other state, right? Mostly nocturnal yeah. movement, uh, you know, the first couple weeks. Well, those first few days though, i every year I see a good buck the first few days of the season, but then very quickly it changes. It's, oh. I feel like, and again, this is, I mean, it's always, there's always going to be exceptions to the rule. There's always going to be these pockets where deer don't get pressure. But I have seen pretty consistently that October 1 through 3, maybe, I've got a really good chance at seeing a good buck. And then it dives down significantly. Yeah. Not, not to say you can't. And especially if you know where, how to get into their bedding areas and you know where they're at and you can get really tight. But the, the farther traveling or the food source activity and stuff that stops pretty quick. Yeah. Um, That's what Andy was telling me too. He's like, I think I could, I, he's like, for the most part, I could go and have an encounter one, not necessarily kill one, but have an encounter with something good in those first three days. But then the more people that hop in the woods, it's almost like the deer are educated somehow to know that. All right. I mean, it's just like, it's just like in Iowa, whether the whether my property gets pounded during shotgun season or not, the, the deer move out of the farm, yeah. right? So it's just uh, it's almost like they they're able to learn when the pressure is going to come and adjust before it does. Yeah, some kind of flip switches and they catch on quick. That's yeah. for sure. Yeah. So uh, let's see here. Uh, another question I had for you. Hard transition right now. How is how is the book selling? That is a hard, that's a big, big pivot there. Yeah. Uh, good. Um, pretty darn good. I mean, it's not like it's a New York times bestseller or anything, but, um, pretty darn good for a first time author. I think, um, I think I'm, I'm pretty darn happy with it. Yeah. And uh, I think my book publisher's happy and I think it's done well enough that I, I think I should be able to get another book deal and keep doing this kind of thing. So, nice. so yeah, it's, nice. I'm, I'm, I'm pleased. I'm pleased. What are the chances that Oprah read your book and recommends it because if, if she does that, it's, it's big time. That is true. I'm going to say it's at 0%, 0%. 0.001%. But, um, but you never say never. If, if, if any, if anyone's buddies with Oprah, please send her a copy <laughs> of my book. We need Oprah on our side. Can you imagine if Oprah was a public land and hunting advocate? Oh my God. Someone, yeah. someone straight out of the blue, like, all right, so so here here's this. Um, my my wife watches a show called Very Cavalry. Uh, Kristen Cavalry, you, you know who that is from? I am I am aware. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, she's married to a guy named Jay Cutler, who used to be a football quarterback. You know, football player for the Chicago Bears, and I think he went down to Miami for a little bit. Follow me so far. I'm following you. Okay. So he's a hunter, 
and I've tried, I've tried to reach out. Um, I've tried to reach out uh, through his Instagram and his Instagram is called if Jay had Instagram and I think his wife runs it for him. So it's, he doesn't do anything, but they've posted pictures of him like shooting a real big velvet deer. I think they live in Tennessee and, um, a Turkey and, and all these things. Well, uh, so he's pretty popular. His wife, obvious, you know, I don't think she has a big problem with hunting, and yet when he, when they post those pictures, he gets shit on right oh, by people, you know, and then that automatically transfers over to her. Oh, how could you let this happen? Blah, blah, blah. And, you know, obviously they don't give a shit, but I think it would be cool if someone that big or, you know, oh, like talking about Oprah would just endorse hunting and just say, Hey dude, it's, it's cool. What's the problem? Yeah, uh, for sure. Those are good advocates to get. Well, you know, Chris Pratt. Yeah. He's done that. Yeah. He's a he's a big hunter and he's talked pro on hunting, so that's nice to have. Yeah. Um who else? Who I mean, you, Joe Rogan. Yeah. Who do you think what's name someone who would completely catch you off guard like a celebrity came out and said, Oh, I'm a I'm a huge bow hunter. Love bow hunting. I love running gun bow hunting in public land. Like that would just be like, Are you kidding me? Who who, who does would, that? Who would catch me off guard? Yeah, what about catch? like uh, RuPaul? RuPaul. <laughs> what about that? <laughs> right? <laughs> that would surprise you. <laughs> like the new RuPaul that is <laughs> like the, the new RuPaul that doesn't dress drag anymore or the old RuPaul that does dress drag? Uh, any one of them, man. I don't, <laughs> I don't know why that was the first thing that came to mind, but... I, that's the, probably the best answer. I mean, <laughs> the, I was going to think of like Kanye West or, you know, someone someone like that or Rosie O'Donnell. <laughs> That'd be a good one. <laughs> Just like, yeah, you know, like hardcore, you know, hardcore liberal, blah, blah, blah. But huge bow hunter. I love, <laughs> bow, I love bow hunting. <laughs> I am a brown and down its hunter. Oh, man. Yeah. You know, we got to keep spreading the good word. Yeah, we, we, gotta, do. we do. We keep spreading the good word. All right. I'll take them. If any of those folks want to hunt, oh, I'm yeah. happy to take you out. Oh yeah. Same here. Same here. If I'm I'm really happy to take anybody out. But I would love to take someone who is completely opposite me in all aspects in life. Like someone who I don't know, this is gonna sound weird, but someone who is not white, someone who is extremely liberal, someone who is maybe against certain things and i don't know just someone in opposite world you know like in seinfeld opposite world opposite dan johnson i would love to take opposite dan johnson hunting i agree that'd be a pretty cool thing to do or fishing or whatever or just yeah. you know hang out with them for a bit chit chat with them all right if so more if more of us did that kind of thing i think it'd be a good thing for the world yeah i do too and I think people would just relax. And I, you know, you see all these, these memes popping up on, on social media now where it's like the guy who's taking pictures of all his deer meat in his freezer. And he's like, no, no wait in line here. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, there's, I bet you there's a lot of people actually thinking about it now going, man, if I hunted, I would probably have some meat in my fridge right now and not have to really worry about really worry about it. Yeah. Very true. Speaking speaking of memes, have you watched Tiger King yet? Jesus man, dude, 
my wife is like, Hey dude, I, Dan, you want to watch this show with me? And <laughs> I came in right as the main character. What's his name? What's Joe the, exotic. Yeah. Joey exotic, Joe exotic started talking and I'm just like, what the hell <laughs> is this? Yep. Is this, but yes, I've seen it. You watch the whole thing? Not the whole thing. I mean, bits and pieces. I'm trying to e-scout while watching it, you know? So my <laughs> wife's like, we don't spend any, any time together anymore. We're so, you're so busy. I'm so busy, you know, cause I'm watching the kids and then I have to go up and work after that. So the other night we're sitting down there and she's like, well, let's watch. Everybody's talking about this, this, this uh, Tiger King. Let's watch it together. I'm like, yeah, okay. I mean, my nose is buried in Onyx and, uh, <laughs> and, <Damn. laughs> and, and, and I'm watching, you know, I'm watching it with her and I'm just listening to this guy talk and I'm just like, holy shit, this is like Maury Povich all over again. Man, it just gets worse and worse too. If you kept, if you actually watched the whole thing and saw how the story continues to unravel, yeah. it's just crazy. It, it's crazy. Just nuts. But the funny part is, it's like, uh, some, some guy mentioned something about Tiger King and I go, otherwise known as my family reunion. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I'm sure there's some people who know a few <laughs> folks like that. <laughs> um, but uh, what was the mean, meme about? Uh, I didn't have a meme. I was just like, there's been tons of memes oh, yeah. about it. And so that just made yeah. me think of Tiger King. And I had to ask if you'd watched it. But I, I, there, there's one meme that I do like a lot. I wish I could find it so I could read it exactly for you. But it's about homeschooling. And um, But since you didn't watch the show, you're not going to know this. Or you, you haven't. Really, I've I've been it, absorbing it secondhand. Well, basically, there's like a meme, and one side of the picture is you know, minute zero through five of homeschooling on day one, <laughs> and it's uh, Carol Baskins, and she's saying, "Hey, you cool cats and kittens!" It's her stupid little thing that she's all happy go lucky. And then the next picture is you know day five of homeschooling, and it's Joe Exotic saying, "I'm gonna cap your ass if you say one more word, you dirty mother." <laughs> I, I love that. I love the quotes when he's when he's running for president, and he's oh, like, man. "I am broke as shit. I've had kinky sex. I've done drugs." <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why more people didn't want to vote for him. Dude, he won. He got 19 percent of the vote. For governor, right? For governor of Oklahoma. 19% of the vote. 19% of voting people in Oklahoma voted for him for governor. That's crazy. Can we take a second to appreciate that? That is take nuts. Oklahoma guys and girls listening. What in the world? <laughs> 19% of you voted for Joe Exotic? That's crazy, man. Oh, man. I want to go to Oklahoma and just experience this, I guess. Is he in jail now? I didn't watch the last episode. I don't want to. I don't. I don't want to spoil it for people. Well, they might be listening. And haven't watched it yet. All right, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Joe Exotic. Nope, no, no spoilers. What would your name be if you were the Tiger King? Would you? Would you just be still be Mark Kenyon, or would you? Would you change your name to something? I don't more catching. No, you'd have to. You'd have to make it more catchy. Uh, I don't know, Mark Kamasutra, something like that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Oh shit! I'm gonna change the subject. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Uh, well, I don't even know how long have we been bullshitting. We've been bullshitting for almost 30 minutes now. This is the longest intro we've ever done. 
This I, is one I, of those podcasts that we do every once in a while where nobody's listening still at this point. Exactly. Everyone turn it off. It's and, just you and me. And the sponsors are rethinking why they've gave, given me money. Yeah, you better stack all the ads in the front end of this one. <laughs> <laughs> just do all the ads and then say, okay, after this point, just like shut it off. Yep, just me and Mark talking now. Yep. All right, so. Uh, what did you have breakfast this morning? What did I have for breakfast? Yeah. Oh, dude. Fridays are big breakfast day in the Johnson house. So we did bacon and pancakes. And I don't know if you've seen my Instagram story today, but I like to I like to fry up the bacon, right? So there's a layer of grease in the bottom. Fry your pancakes in that. But then when it, you know, I feed all the kids. But then when it's my turn, I'll do a crisscross bacon, two pieces of bacon, lay them down, make it look like an X, dump the batter on top of that, and then I got a bacon pancake. Oh, that's pretty cool. I'm watching it right now. Yeah. It's an interesting idea. Yeah. So that's how I roll on Friday mornings, and I eat a big enough meal to where I typically don't eat lunch. Then if the rain stops today, I'm going to go on a weighted pack hike, get my find my legs again, and then uh, we have a we have pork butt in the crock pot, so we're going to have pulled pork for supper. Sounds like a good day. Oh, dude. Sounds like a very good day. Yeah. And you're listening to It's a Great Day to Be Alive by oh, Travis Tritt. Amen. Dude, how fast do you go through venison in your house? I don't even really know how to, I don't know how to, like, explain it. I don't know. We probably eat venison uh, out of seven days a week. We're doing pizza night on Fridays. Maybe one night a week we eat chicken. So probably five nights a week we're eating venison. Yeah. And I usually try to have the equivalent of four deer put in the freezer every year. Um, and we usually don't go through quite all of that by the time the next hunting season comes around. <clears throat> so I don't know. Yeah. We have been flying through it this year. I mean, f- absolutely flying through it. And um, typically I have enough to last me, th- whether it's, you know, I kill the deer myself or I have my stepdad. He, he smokes a lot of deer, so he'll throw some, He'll throw some my way, but we made a lot of it into, uh, and I, and I got some mule deer from the mule deer hunt this past year, but man, we have been just flying through it this year. I mean, everything. I mean, we've substituted hamburger a lot this year. Do you, you, you use regular hamburger sometimes? Uh, yeah, sometimes, you know, like, I don't know, my wife, if, if I could, I would have, I would use deer meat for every meal. But she does, she does like the occasional, uh, I don't know. Dude, you got to cut that shit right out. Dude, I'm trying. You got to nip that shit in the butt immediately. Trust me, I'm trying. My beef? You're paying for beef? Dude, don't make me look Uh, bad on my own podcast, Mark. I'm I'm sorry. I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) You just got me fired up. I know. Come on, Sarah. Dude, I, uh, we have a lot, right? And we eat a lot, but we still eat a lot, like beef burgers, right? The, the stuff that you you mix in other sauces and stuff and spaghetti and stuff, but she still every once in a while likes the old beef in the, you know, whatever. So plus we're in Iowa, right? I mean, it's, it's, it's culture here for, you know, beef producers and whatnot. But, you know, if I could, um, this year, like hands down, I'm slaying, I'm, I'm filling my freezer this year, this, this year, this is your chance right now. To cut her off of beef forever. Here's how you do it. All right. You tell her, hey, hon, I love you. You're beautiful. 
You've never looked better. You've had three kids, and you look like you're not a day over 21. Mm-hmm. But the economy is in shambles. Mm-hmm. Business is a little bit, you know, tenuous right now. We just got to be playing it safe. We got to save our money. We got to be putting more money in the bank. We need to take. Could you imagine if we took all the money we spend on beef right now, and instead put that into our savings account? And I'll, do, I'll I'm going to split it up. I'm going to be fair, Sarah. I'm going to take half of it, and it's going to go into our savings as a safety net. We got to be responsible adults. We got to watch out for kids. We got kids that got to go to college. I'll take the other 50% of our beef savings, and I'm going to put that into a 2021 Napa Valley vacation fund for you, hun, because I love you, and you're beautiful, and you deserve Napa Valley. Right. You do that. So by you, this point, she stopped listening to me. <laughs> <laughs> and and you're eating venison every day. Right, and right. You're eating venison every day. Right. There it is. I hey, man. It I'll, I'll give it a try, Mark. You know, maybe <laughs> I, I think we found what your next next book needs to be about relationships between hunters and hunters wives there you go i'm gonna work on that proposal (laughs) (laughs) if you need a ghostwriter just let me know i'll I'll, I'll keep you posted (laughs) if you ever but if you ever do write a children's book and you do need a ghostwriter i think that's about i'm nothing higher than a fourth grade level but anything under that like here dan wakes up early in the morning and his dad is happy like that's about as high as i go You'll, you'll you'll be my screener for photography. So yeah, you just you say, okay, does this picture make sense? Yes. yes. Doggy, yes. does this picture make sense? Yes. Sunshine. <laughs> uh, All right. So good podcast. Yeah, there you go. Well, hey, uh, let's see here. The, the, the reason why I called you earlier this week and was like, hey, dude, you got time to do a podcast. Uh, yeah, I want to do it about hunting stories. Well, we're not going to do what we originally thought we were going to do until hunting stories. No, this is my fault too. Let's talk about, let's, let's tell some hunting stories. Maybe one that was impactful in your life, but maybe you haven't told or a favorite hunting story that maybe you haven't shared before or, uh, a, a unique experience that you have that may or may not be even hunting related, just like outside nature related that you kind of fell in love with it. Hmm. <laughs> well, I got an interesting email the other day Okay. from the meat eater uh, email inbox where someone emailed me eater and they said, Hey, I don't know how to get a hold of Mark directly, but I was at this fishing camp in Canada and was looking at the pictures. And as I was looking through, a face caught my eye. I'm like, I know that face. And when they looked at it, as a young kid, realized it was me, Mark Kenyon. So he emailed me this picture of me from, I don't know. Last year? Early. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> hey, he looked 14. That's Mark in 2018. Shaved the goat. Uh, it was me, I think, in early high school or late junior high, somewhere in that ballpark, up at a Canadian fishing camp. And so it was funny to look at that. It was me in, like, my fishing bibs and an old Michigan State hat, and I had a big stringer of pike. It was pretty sweet to see that old – see that place again. But, yeah, we used to go – we used to either fly or drive up to Canada every summer for a week of fishing. And these are some of my favorite trips growing up, and I haven't been able to do it in a long time now. Uh, I think the last time I went was while I was in college. Um, but I would love to pick it back up again, take my sons. Basically, we would 
drive up all the way through Michigan, up into the upper peninsula of Michigan, up into Ontario, and then keep driving up, I don't know how far, a couple, four, five, six hours farther north into Ontario. And one of the camps, you would get up there to a little town and hop on a little plane, like a, like a bush plane, a float plane, and get flown into a remote lake. And then you come flying down and you get dropped off at a dock and there's this remote lodge where there's nothing else there. Um, but the one we went to the most was you could drive to it, but basically you're driving through nothing, just this endless boreal forest and big rocky escarpments. This area is called the Canadian Shield. Have you heard of the Canadian Shield? I've heard about it, yeah. Um, so it's basically a, a, a significant portion of Canada that has this uh, this uh, rocky... Exposure. Exposure, essentially. I think it's Precambrian rock. Um, I don't know how to describe it, but it's in the boundary waters of Minnesota. You've got this kind of terrain. In parts of the UP, you have this type of terrain in a lot of... The eastern, northern part of Canada, you have this very rocky terrain everywhere you go. Right. Um, so that's what this area is. And you get up to the camp, and there's a couple cabins, probably five cabins strewn across the lake's shore, and then one bigger cabin that would have um, the, the office for the owners of the place. And we would go up there every summer, get up there and be my dad, myself, my grandpa, and then my dad's best friend and his son, who was my best friend growing up, and uh, a couple of years I had an uncle and cousins come along, and then a few other like family friends and stuff. And you'd get a little cabin, and we would, you know, get up first thing in the morning, hit the lake. And my grandpa would come some years too, hit the lake, and you know, you'd be trolling or jigging for walleye, pike, and perch, yeah. and you just catch all sorts of fish all day and then middle of the day you'd all meet up again at the island you'd pick an island and you all go to an island and you bring whatever fish you caught and we have these big um i don't even remember exactly how um what they look like because i just remember the big pot just a big like fryer um and we would get a bunch of grease boiling or frying and then you, we would slice up potatoes, slice up onions, and then uh, dredge fillet. We'd fillet walleye and pike right there on the shoreline. <clears throat> you just use the rocks as a cutting board. Fillet a bunch of fish, dredge them in Drake's breading, dump it all in the fryer, and you'd have fried potatoes, fried onions, and fried fish fresh right on the rocks in the middle of the lake, eaten with your hands. Yeah. Um, I mean, the best meals you ever had in your life. Yeah. And then you get done with that, and you keep fishing. And you fish till dark. You come back to camp. Then you do another fish fry at night at the cabins. You eat all sorts of good stuff. Um, but I remember one year we were doing that. I was with a buddy, and we were out fishing all night, and we stayed out late till probably after dark, and we had walkie-talkies to stay in touch back then. So my dad had walkie-talkied me and said, you know, there is uh, a bear in camp. You guys, you guys should probably get back and just, you know, we don't want you messing around with a bear in camp. Uh, so I said, all right, don't worry about it. We'll come back. It'll be fine. And so we got back to camp at some point later after dark, and we had a whole bunch of fish. So we thought, all right, we're going to go and uh, fillet them, get them taken care of. And so there was a fish cleaning shack. And basically what that meant was there was like a, a building, a small, I don't know, 10 feet long by 5 feet across maybe, that was just a screen. Like the walls were just screens. So it was like a screened-in little building. And then there was metal tables in it for uh for you to clean your fish and then there were holes in the wall by the table 
where you could just slide the fish carcass, slide it down the table, and it'd scoot out that hole, and then it would land in a trash can outside of the um, outside of the little fish cleaning shack. Yep. So me and my buddy are in there. We we'd fished all day, had a great day, ate a lot of good food. We're cleaning a bunch of fish, talking and stuff, and we'd kind of forgotten about the whole bear thing. So we're in there cleaning fish, cleaning fish, and then all of a sudden we hear this whoomp, and we look at each other, and then we hear smack and crash, and five feet away, we see the garbage can topple over, and then we hear, (laughs) and there's a black bear right like five feet away from us with just the screen in between us and the bear, and the bear's getting into the fish remains, and we're right here with just screen door on the other side. So this bear's over eating fish, and we're, you know, I'm, I don't know, 16 or something or 17. Um, I don't know, maybe younger, somewhere in that ballpark. And I don't know anything about bears at this point. So I'm scared out of my mind. I'm shitting my pants. There's a bear five feet away from me eating fish. I've got fish guts all over my hands. I've got dead <laughs> fish in front of me. So me and my buddy immediately like, scurry to the other side of the shack. So we're now we're like 10 feet away from him. And we don't know what to do. We don't want to walk out of the screen door and like be right there by the bear. We're trying to figure out how do we scare him away. So we start just like yelling really loud. And then he doesn't do anything. And we're trying to get a hold of someone on the walkie-talkies. And for some reason, we can't get a hold of anyone on the walkie-talkie. So we're trapped in a fish shack with a black bear just outside. <laughs> and we're looking at each other, and we, we don't know what to do. But after a few minutes, I was like kind of yelling and making noise, and the bear is just like rummaging around there. We kind of realized, okay, we're stuck. Um, and I don't remember how it came about, but we somehow decided, okay, well, we're alive. It's not coming here yet. We should probably finish cleaning the fish. <laughs> and, but we also want to keep making noise. So for some reason, I don't know why it's a weird thing as I think about it now, but for some reason we started singing, uh, <laughs> ring of fire by Johnny Cash. <laughs> so we're in this fish shack, the two of us <laughs> singing ring of fire, <laughs> all the black bears outside the shack. I don't know why, but I just envisioned this bear rolling his eyes at you guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, he thought he was probably having the time of his life starving down all his fish, and we're pissing ourselves singing Johnny Cash next to this him. This is like a nervous, this extremely nervous song. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Trying to fight back crying. <laughs> and then eventually the bear just moseyed off. And we finished our singing, and we finished our fish, and we finally decided to make a run for it, and we you know, didn't hear him anymore and thought he was gone. And so we literally ran from the fish shack to the cabins, and uh, we survived it. The bear did not get us. Um, we got our fish, and we got a hell of a story out of it. Yeah. And that was uh, that was one of my more memorable nights there at that fishing camp. But great place, a lot of, lot of really good times, and um, – a good bear story too. Yeah, so, <laughs> there's a good one. My uh, my uncle, he owned a cabin up on Lake of the Woods on a uh, this very small island with like three other cabins. Right back long time ago, this island came up for sale and it was parceled parceled off into like three sections. And it's a small it's a small island, and so he built this. I don't know, 10 by 10 cabin up there in in the early 70s. Then every other, you know, every so often he would just build onto it. So it was this it was this cabin that was just sectioned out really weird. Like, okay, well, here's another 10 by 10 room. 
Okay, now we can build a 10 by 10 room with a loft on it. Oh, well, now here's another 10 by 10 room that we can add more bunks in. And it was just this really unique property that he had way up there and there's no roads to it. So the only way that you could get to it was by float plane or boat or barge. So they had, they had to buy all of their, um, I guess, equipment, put it on a barge in Baudette, Minnesota. I think it was Baudette or no international falls right there uh, in Minnesota where, you know, you can, I think that leads right up into, uh, it's either Baudette or international falls. I can't remember. It's right on the water there. They load up a barge with all of the equipment and stuff that they need for an entire summer. And he, that's where he stayed for like three months out of the year, right? He was a school teacher. So as soon as school would get out, he would go up there, load up a barge, the bar or rent a barge service. And then if he needed to come back, he would uh, hail a a float plane, but no electricity, no running water, no, like, uh, after a while he ended up digging a well and, or getting a well put in. And, uh, so he did get running water, but there, you know, there was no flush toilets. It was all go out to the outhouse. And, um, I can remember I was, when I was a kid, I was a huge fan of national geographics. And I told my dad, dude, when I grow up, I want to be a photographer or a videographer for National Geographic's, right? And when we stepped, when I found out we were going to be riding a float plane for my very first time, I was, I can't really compare the excitement that I had stepping onto that thing for the first time. Now, I'd been in other airplanes before but not a float plane. And for some reason that float plane felt like I was going on some kind of big excursion. Like I, you know, like I had seen in national geographics. Oh yeah. So, so it's just, you know, flying over this gigantic body of water with all these islands sprinkled in it, landing, getting out to, you know, this cabin that was by today's means was really, I don't know. I don't know what the word is. You're a words guy. Just like <laughs> nostalgic in a way yeah. that, I mean, you know, I had never been there before, but I felt like I was already a part of this tradition, just stepping off of that plane. And we did the same thing that you guys did. We'd go out, fish all day, and we had walleye for every single meal. We had fried walleye for uh, breakfast. We had walleye for lunch. Sometimes there was just like a... a more of a, a baked option that they had there and, uh, you know, cause they had a, a gas stove. So it was, it was, uh, it was an awesome experience. I loved doing that. And I, I love fishing. So I want to, one of the next trips that I want to go on with my family, as soon as my youngest is old enough, we're going to, I want to do a cabin, you know, like they fly in, they drop you off at this lake you're there by yourself for four or five days and then they pick you up in four or five days. You may have a radio or, you know, no Wi-Fi, no running water, no, you know, no electricity, just you out there by yourself with your family. And, uh, I, that's, that's high on my list of things to do. Sounds like a good time. Yeah. Sounds like a very good time. Yeah. yeah I'm, I'm, I'm going crazy. I've got such bad cabin fever. Oh, I so dude. badly just want to get out and do stuff and had all these plans of going places and doing things. And now it's just between 
this lockdown and, and and I don't think you guys are locked down Iowa, but we are literally locked down in Michigan yeah. for the last like I don't know, at least a week, if not two weeks. At least a week now I've been totally locked down. Yeah. Um and then basically everything's been closed for two or three weeks. Um between that and then also just like my family lockdown of having a two month old and yeah. all the challenges of that, I am just going nuts, man. Yeah. So this stuff really sounds good. Yeah. So I gotta I gotta tell you a story, another story, real quick, about the one of the. It, I'm not going to say it's the first hunting experience that that I ever had. Um, it was probably really close. It was before I ever had deer hunted. It was after I had been trapping as a kid, right? I think I think I've shared with you the stories about how when my uncle would go to college, he'd, he'd would ask my grandma to run the trap line. And because my grandma was kind of a babysitter, she would help me or I would help her basically pull, uh, muskrats and raccoons and possums out of these traps. Uh, Yeah. The the, the lasting image for me has always been your grandma clubbing them over the head. (laughs) No, that was my job. If they were yours. Yeah. I had, I thought it was your grandma that did that. No, I was the, I, I was the guy who had the, uh, the beaten stick, which was an old wooden baseball bat. And it's like, okay, Daniel, there's one right there. You know, this, like, and it's, it's almost morbid to think about this little 10 year old kid with a baseball bat, just beating raccoon heads in, right? Like that's, that was trapping, right? Just hit them a couple of times, pop, pop. You know, the first time I was just like, I don't want to tap. She's like, no, like this, boom. I'm just like, you know, it should only take one hit, Daniel. I'm like, okay. <laughs> like God God bless grandma's like that. I know, <laughs> right? And then she would go home and she'd cook us dinner like nothing happened. It was right. uh it was it was crazy. But so I was out at my grandma's house, same family, and one day my uncle shows up and he goes, Daniel, you want to come pheasant hunting with me? And I said, uh, yeah, I'll go pheasant hunting with you. And I thought it was so cool because I really looked up to my uncle and he's one of uh, one of the people who kind of got me interested in the outdoors. Like he was an avid fisherman. He he would take me fishing when I was a kid. Uh, we'd run some trap lines. We'd go saying minnows, like all these outdoor activities that he loved to do. When my grandma was helping take care of me, I'd jump in the car with him. And he had this old beat up, like blue, that's like a Chevy S10 single cab, you know, a really, a really small truck, manual transmission. It, you know, and it's, it's funny. You, I look back when I, when I would tell this story 10 years ago, funny thing about stories is I feel like the details come out the older you get and you, yep. you, it's the importance. Like he used to smoke cigarettes. So I'd step in that truck and I could smell the cigarette smoke or, or the ashtray, right? Uh, the shotgun shells, you know, kind of rolling around in the, on the floor of the, of the truck, you know, like this dusty, dusty old truck that he used for hunting and fishing. So we, uh, he's like, Hey, you want to come pheasant hunt with me? I said, yeah, sure. We can do this. So we go out. And we go to, you know, this is north, this is north central Iowa. So there's not a lot of timber up there. So it's all ag and the pheasants are living either in the ditch or the, um, these buffer strips that you hear me talk about every once in a while. And he had this Weimaraner lab mix and this dog's name was Cujo. They named it Cujo and it was this big dog. It was, uh, 
it was a male not castrated like this this dog was rough and what was really cool about this dog is he had a tendency of just to go get the pheasants and bring them back to you alive he he wouldn't point them out and and then jump them up he would literally chase them down grab them and then bring them back to you and then you just have to wring their neck right you, you wouldn't even there were times where you wouldn't even have to pull the trigger that's oh. that's what this dog dog did it was nuts so me my uncle and Cujo, you know and at the time i, I just can i can remember how heavy the shotgun was it was a, he just handed me this 12 gauge right i'm this little kid i it was like 1993 or 92 or something like that so i was like 11 or 12 years old hands me a loaded 12 gauge and he's like okay so when one pops up you gotta you know you gotta shoot it I'm like, okay, you know, it's like no, no real training. I had shot in a gun before, but probably not a, a 12 gauge. So we're, we get out of the truck and we start, you know, my uncle's like, all right, Cujo work boy or something like that. And he just instantly goes into the weeds and he starts, you know, doing the, his dog thing and he stops and my uncle's all right, there's one right there. If it's a hen, you can't shoot it. Do you know what a hen looks like? I'm like, yeah, it doesn't have the long tail. And he's like, yeah, okay. <laughs> that was it. Like <laughs> I probably would have shot a, a hen if it flew up because I was so excited, but he stops and he kicks up this rooster. And I, I can just remember it took me like, it took me like a second. Cause the butt, the butt of the gun, the stock of the gun hit my armpit. So then I had to readjust for some reason that really stuck out to me. Like I had to readjust. So it wasn't this one big smooth motion. And I was lost it in. Hey, can you hear me? So I got the, I, you know, it's not one smooth motion, right? I'm like struggling to get this gun up, not realizing how heavy it is, but this pheasant is up in the air and he's flying right away from me. And I just remember, I don't even think I aimed to be honest with you. I think I just pulled this gun up to my shoulder, squeezed the trigger and the pheasant just, you know, the puff of feathers. I smoked him. He fell to the ground and limit was three birds. I think at that time, but I was so fired up that I had just shot my very first pheasant. Cujo ran and got him, brought it to my, brought him to my uncle. And I just, I can remember smiling so much that day that my cheeks hurt. You know, like when you get around a good friend and you're laughing and you're smiling uh-huh. so much, you get that those sore cheeks. And I grabbed that pheasant. I got a couple pictures of him. And, you know, Polaroids back then were, were the thing. So I can remember having that. I can't find that picture anymore, which really kind of pisses me off. But I do have the pheasant tail still. That's sweet. Yeah. And I can remember having this conversation, like just like I, I, I wanted to stop hunting at that point. I said, I want to go tell grandma and I want to go tell my mom what I just done. And I, I walked around like I was the shit for like two straight days because I had just (laughs) one shot, one kill. My uncle was really, you know, propping me up. He's like, Hey man, you did an awesome job. That's great. I'm like, yeah, no, I could probably, you know, (laughs) I could probably go do it again. You know, like that kind Uh of, that kind of thing. But that is just another story that is in the catalog of stories that had, that got me fired up about hunting and fishing in the outdoors. And, you know, when you now talking with all these specialists, right, I, I get to talk to a lot of people about a lot of different things and hearing, 
you know, hearing that pheasant, especially here in Iowa, that pheasant habitat over the last X number of years is just dwindling at a rapid rate. So it's like that. I'm not a pheasant hunter per se, but I've been pheasant hunting and that memory sticks out so much to kind of make me who I am today that now, now pheasants have become important to me again. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. I feel like there's, there's so many examples of situations like that where maybe you don't do that thing a lot or maybe you don't get to be in those places a lot but i find myself more and more still caring about something like that because yeah. you, you, you just like the idea of it is reassuring yeah. or the possibility that you could see these places someday or that you know that that's out there still i think that's that's a thing worth fighting for yeah um but it's funny you bring all this stuff up like these stories you know like your catalog yeah and it's like right now more than ever we need that catalog yeah. like we each need our little catalog I, I i was flipping through my catalog yesterday morning i went and like pulled out an old hard drive and was flipping through pictures from like 2016 i think or 15 and just looking back at all the trips and all the different things we were doing and just a smile plastered across my face right, right. reliving all those old memories i mean thank goodness Thank goodness for the, I don't know what I'm going to say. I guess I don't know what I'm trying to say. What I'm trying to say is that those memories are pretty darn sweet. Right. And it's a and foundation. Sometimes, yeah. Yeah, it is. I'm, I'm glad to have them. And when times get tough, sometimes it's, it's, it's a real comfort to be able to look back on those good times and see pictures or talk to someone about the stories and rekindle those old experiences. And, uh, yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. glad, I'm glad to have had those things in my life. Yeah. Like the big trips are cool. Right. You know, us going to Canada, that's like that's a big trip. But also the other trips, like I just shared a story that was maybe an hour and a half car ride from you know, or an hour and a half of a total story. Right. My uncle picked me up. We drove down two sections of of gravel road, hopped out of the car, went pheasant hunting, shot a pheasant, came back to the house in probably a matter of an hour and a half. So it's these little things that can have big impacts as well. So the the whole point i guess of if there is something to take away is that the the your catalog doesn't have to be full of epic journeys it can be it can have you know other little smaller stories that can play just have i guess have as much of an impact as an epic journey or an quote unquote adventure for sure so very true yeah dude i think we should do this again whether it's on uh your your podcast or mine we have a little story time i am game for that anytime you want to do it cool man well mr Kenyon, i can i've gotten the text message from the wife (laughs) that says when are you going to be done and uh and that's like (laughs) that's like four minutes over the time that that so that's how that's how crazy our household is right now it's like you better, four, you better get out there, dude. Four minutes past when I said I would probably be done, I get the text. So <laughs> <laughs> there's that. Tell her about Napa Valley, man. Yeah. Tell about that. Tell about that beef savings account, dude. I'll, I'll, I, that would have to be a pretty big beef savings account if uh, we're going to go to Napa again. Hey, that stuff. I I I don't want to take up too much time, but when we first went out for a summer to Idaho the very first time, we yeah. didn't bring venison with us. And so for two months, I had to buy beef. Yeah. And I, and I hadn't bought beef for years and years and years. And so we finally had to do it. I can't believe how much that shit costs. Yeah. It's expensive. Yeah. yeah. 
I understand. Well, and uh, Napa Valley, man. Yeah, Napa Valley. Hey, Matt, come here. My boy just walks in the room. Matt, come here. Hey, come here. Say, say, hi, Mark. Mark? Not Uncle Mark. This is Mark Kenyon. Oh, well, you'll meet him someday. <laughs> hey, Mac. Hey, man, you have a good one. I'll talk to you later. All right, you do, buddy. Bye. See you. And there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. That brings us to the end of another Nine Finger Chronicles podcast. Be sure to follow us on Instagram and Facebook. Be sure to subscribe through iTunes or wherever you download your podcast, man. We really appreciate all that. Remember, listen to all of the Sportsman Nation podcasts, man. Tons of great content coming out of uh, our camp. And, of course, whether you subscribe through the Sportsman's Nation or the the, uh, Nine Finger Chronicle standalone feed, you can download just the Nine Finger Chronicles or you can download the Sportsman's Nation uh, network feed as a whole and get everything. So... I think that covers it. Hopefully everybody has a great day. Remember cash for conservation and remember that 2020 is about giving back.